0: Hey everyone, it's Sensei Victoria Whitfield here, your journey partner in business, welcoming you back to episode 135 of the Journeypreneur podcast. This is your source for channel holistic stress management techniques, guidance, inspiration, and motivation from the best to get you on your path to rapid financial ascension and massive impact as a conscious entrepreneur. So in this podcast episode... I get the honor and the pleasure of introducing you to my dear friend and client, Dr. Mark Morris. His website is njosteopathic.com. He is an incredible osteopath here in New Jersey. But in fact, I'm going I'm so excited to get to share what he has to say with you because he's here to revolutionize the revolutionize osteopathy, especially with evolutionary osteopathy so welcome to the podcast mark my dear friend welcome
1: thank you so much victoria
0: (laughs) so good to see you um i'm so happy to get to share you so i'm curious this may be the very first time that someone is meeting you or hearing about you or anything that you do, so in your own words, could you please tell us what it is that you do, but especially what are the three things that you're known for? Could you tell us
1: okay i can uh, I can make a crack at that uh, i uh, I am a uh, what is called a traditional osteopath um, we are uh, We are not excellent marketers, but we are very much clinicians, and uh, uh, so a lot of people don't know what osteopathy is. Uh, there was a physician in the Civil War days named Andrew Taylor Still who was a physician and a preacher, and he came up with a new model of medical care that focuses its, uh, its treatment on using the inherent tendency toward health in the patient as the guiding principle, uh, as opposed to the uh, knowledge of the practitioner as the guiding principle. And uh, so that is uh, a, that's the sort of medicine that I practice. Uh, I'm a fully licensed physician and surgeon a pediatrician. uh, And uh, as a traditional osteopath, I diagnose and treat with my hands and with history uh, from the patient, and uh, I uh, uh, ooh, uh, I see a lot of patients, and the patients who come to me uh, come to me as a physician of last resort. Since osteopaths don't market themselves well, people find everybody else first. Uh, the average patient who comes to me has seen 11 doctors. This is quite crazy, but they get to me Uh, not having their problems solved, and uh, they've already seen 11. So um, uh, as a physician of last resort, uh, I get to be in a position of restoring hope, which is really nice. And then uh, I get to be in a position of uh, uh, giving a uh, different and more comprehensive medical perspective to the patient than they have been able to get from anybody else um, uh, and, uh, the most important thing I think that I do is to assist patients in feeling empowered to self heal, to heal themselves and to maintain themselves, uh, and to, uh, not have to be dependent upon a practitioner for their care. So, uh, medicine, uh, primarily focuses on structure. Uh, this is a, there's a long history of this where, uh, med- where um, most medical practice is based around the notion that any disease or disease is the result of a problem with the structure of the body. Uh, that's a very nice perspective and it covers lots of things like broken bones and, uh, and uh, other things that can be dealt with by addressing the structure. Uh, what's still taught and uh, what I, uh, what I work on uh, calling it evolutionary osteopathy uh, because I look at our evolution and I look at our embryology as the primary tools to find out how our nervous systems are oriented and where we come from and then how to take care of us. Um, uh, the, uh, our evolution uh it leaves us uh, evolution is slow, and our evolution leaves us uh, at uh, um, uh, at a place five or ten thousand years ago living in caves around the savannah in small communal groups with predators and prey in a lifespan of twenty five years that 's what the nervous system that is in each one of us is expecting that is not what we have um, and so uh, as a result of Uh, being in the society that we've created, uh, we use our bodies in ways that our bodies were not designed to be used, and that results in functional disease. Functional disease is not structural disease, and so having my uh, primary focus on functional disorders uh, uh, puts me in a unique position among doctors, and I quite like that because I'm able to serve in that way. So Functional diseases are uh, are uh, usually productive of symptoms that uh, could be viewed structurally, but are not well served with the structural approach. Uh, the uh, uh, the sorts of things I see uh, um, I see infants who have colic. Uh, that's uh, uh, and that's the result of an irritated nervous system and uh, it is not something wrong with the structure of the, of the child. So I address it as an irritated nervous system and uh, uh, am able to uh, engage the inherent tendency toward health in the infant. And that will soothe their nervous system. Uh, let's see. Uh, uh, throughout the rest of the lifespan, uh, there are uh, there are kids who need help uh, with things like learning disabilities, difficulties with sleep, uh, difficulties with uh, uh, with uh, fear and anxiety that aren't addressed, um, uh, and uh, through uh, through adulthood. Uh, people have all sorts of uh, pains that that come. Uh, uh, low back pain is a typical one. Neck pain is another one. Migraine headaches. Any of any of these things that are typically treated pharmacologically or surgically in regular medicine, uh, I will attempt to engage the inherent tendency toward health in the patient and have the patient heal themselves. Um, that's that's basically what I do. So. Uh, patients uh, come in having been to a lot of doctors who are looking at part of them uh, I try to look at all of them and reflect it back um, and uh, they uh, come looking for uh, a different and more comprehensive, more comprehensive uh, medical perspective and I attempt to offer that uh, uh, I also uh, let patients know that the locus of health and wisdom in my uh, in my opinion, is within them, and uh, I try and engage that so that they uh, are uh, empowered to self-heal. I don't know. Does that does that cover some ground?
0: Yes, indeed. I love it.
1: Okay. Uh, there's 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 much more depth than that, but I don't know that we need to go there uh, now. Other than that, uh, I look at our nervous systems. As expecting a world that's different than we have. And so I approach uh, the healing process differently than regular doctors do.
0: And I'm so grateful that you do, Mark. You're such an incredible miracle worker because I, of your understanding, right, of the evolutionary background of our bodies, I
1: feel. I'm not sure. <laughs> Whether it's that or whether it's, uh, or whether it's uh, 70 years of hard knocks. And <laughs> I've learned, uh, I have finally found out that the only life uh, that uh, works for me is one of surrender uh, to, uh, uh, to that which is. Uh, and uh, so I'm you know, better balanced than I have been in years past.
0: <laughs> Beautiful. I love it. That makes me curious then. So what was it? that like inspired you to to be an osteopath and open your your business doing that in the first place like did did something happen was there some sort of an epiphany you had could you tell that story i'm curious
1: uh sure uh uh i actually had a a 30-year career as an engineer before i went to medical school when i was 50. Uh, in my uh, in my late thirties and forties, I had an engineering consulting business in San Francisco, and uh, uh, and uh, as a result of having worked as a rock and roll roadie for years and years uh, in the sixties and seventies, and then uh, uh, and then uh, in uh, other engineering work commercially, um, uh, I had uh, a lot of pain in my body. Uh, and a lot of stiffness in my body that was, uh, that was quite difficult. And um, after about five years of increasing disability and pain from a bone spur in the side of my neck, uh, uh, which I didn't know was what it was initially, um, and uh, after going to 11 doctors myself, I was finally referred to an osteopath. And uh, so uh, I went to uh, a doctor named Teresa Hong which is doctor of osteopathy, which is different from MD, um, uh, in San Francisco. And uh, I had been sleeping in a chair for about six months. I was on a boatload of medications and uh, had fire shooting down my right arm every every night uh, and was in agony. And uh, uh, nobody had been able to do anything to help me. Dr. Hong uh, put me on her table, charged me a lot of money, uh, and sent me home and nothing happened. And I went back after a week and I said, are you good? And she said, yeah, I'm good. And, uh, uh, and so uh, I said, okay, go ahead. And she treated me again. And about halfway through the second week, I was able to sleep lying down for the first time in six months. And that got my attention. That was a remarkable thing. Over the course of the next few months, uh, she uh, worked on me, and uh, by the end of about three months, I was pain-free, and I had my life back. And so whatever it cost, it was cheap at the price. Um, uh, And uh, she said, okay, you're fired. You can go now, or you can stick around, and I will unwind you so this doesn't happen again. That was twenty. 20 uh, let's see 24 years ago and it hasn't happened again she was pretty remarkable uh so she said uh, so she said i could come uh, and uh, continue and i did and the very first visit that i went back she said now you know what i'm doing and you should go to osteopathic college and i said excuse me i'm 46 i have I, i have a new wife uh, she has a lifestyle to which she would like to become accustomed, and student poverty is not in the equation for this lifestyle. And she uh, said, You should. Progress. And uh, uh, and so uh, I did the only thing that a sensible person would do in that situation, which is to forget what she said. And um, uh, I had an engineering consulting. Business in San Francisco. Uh, I had I had quite enjoyed that work uh, uh, up until the early '90s. Uh, uh, my relationships with all my clients were very collegial, and we worked uh, uh, we worked toward common goals in uh, a reasonable and sustainable fashion for both the clients and myself. Uh, the, um, Uh, but I had always carried the belief as in in my engineering career that I would finally graduate. And what I mean by that is uh, I saw my work as an engineer as really being a boy in a sandbox. uh, And the play that I was doing was concentrating wealth in other people's hands. And I thought this is, you know, this is, this is not what I was made to do. Uh, And, uh, and, and, uh, someday i 'm going to uh, find some work of redeeming social value uh, and uh, uh, and uh, I awaited that long, uh, not knowing what it was going to be. Little did I know that I would experience that change in the form of an ordination which is uh, which is most odd um, uh, uh, um, when we, could, when my wife and I conceived our firstborn, uh, I realized that I no longer loved my work, and I remembered that my father didn't love his, uh, and that uh, his career had been capped early, and he was a very sad man, and he became an alcoholic, and I was at risk of going down the same road because I wasn't loving my work anymore. The the. Uh, economic forces, the the MBAs had arrived and my collegial relationships with clients had become adversarial because they wanted production that I couldn't deliver and they wanted uh, it's things that would work without testing uh, and without validation and I, I was not going to be able to do that stuff. So uh, uh, so, I, uh, I went to a conference called the National Institute for the Clinical Application of Behavioral Medicine, which was really a bunch of very wooly people, uh, energy healers and uh, people with crystals and psychics and uh, um, uh, a bunch of psychologists and uh, 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 a number of other people. And, uh, rather, and I expected that some psychic was going to tell me what I should do. And uh, I sat down at the table for lunch one day, and uh, there were two physical therapists and a uh, uh, an osteopathic resident in manual medicine who shared my last name and to whom I'm distantly related. We found later, uh, and somebody said, "If you were afraid of nothing, what would you do?" And I sat there for a moment and then I burst into tears because I knew exactly what I needed to do. And so I went, I went to the telephone and I called up my wife and I said, Louis, I have to go to osteopathic college. And she said, I know. And that was the very last time we agreed on anything, but at least it happened up until then. Um, uh, so, uh, So it struck me as though uh, it was ordained that I become an osteopath, and the seer had been Dr. Hong, who told me that I should do it. And my realization of that was circuitous, and apparently required the, uh, the uh, um, uh, forgetting of it for a period of time before I was able to uh, hear it again, and surrender to the idea that I was going to change my life and do that. So uh, uh, we closed down our businesses in San Francisco and moved to Maine, uh, where I went to the University of New England uh, as a, uh, as a uh, pre-med student and then as uh, an osteopathic student, uh, and then did a residency in pediatrics at Newark Beth Israel Hospital. All of these things happened in a very strange way, though. Uh, everybody else who was in medical school was in their 20s. Their genes were not in the next generation yet, and I already had kids. Um, uh, and they were afraid that they were going to fail out of medical school. And I didn't have the luxury of being afraid because I had a special needs kid I had to take care of. And um, I needed to put one foot in front of the other, and I, I didn't have the luxury to be afraid. So what I did was surrender. I surrendered to the ordination. You're an osteopath. You're going to be an osteopath. And, uh, uh, and you're going to keep putting one foot in front of the other until you are, or the ordination changes, and you'll find out in due uh, course. And that worked. I didn't have to be afraid that I was going to fail. Um, I didn't get very much sleep. I slept through a lot of the lectures in medical school, but somehow or other, the information went in. How does that happen? I don't know. But if it's ordained everything is taken out of your way and all you have to do is just do your work. It was harder work than I had ever had to do before, but it was, uh, but it was a joyful work. And uh, uh, so uh, I loved it. So that's really the most important thing I have to say is uh, that, uh, is that within you is the knowledge within me was, was the knowledge of what I needed to do. And Um, uh, and, uh, when I asked for it in some way, I was told and, but it came from inside me ultimately. Um, uh, Dr. Hong gave me my life back and then Dr. Hong told me where I ought to go. And I said no and forgot it for a while. And then I surrendered and everything has been quite different since I have not suffered any opposition and many things should have kept me from succeeding. But having surrendered to what was ordained, nothing did. And uh, so um, uh, one of the things that is most terrifying when you're coming out of uh, medical residency is that you've got a quarter of a million dollars worth of student debt. uh, And uh, you have no uh, visible source of income. and You have to find a way. Uh, but I knew that I needed to do a solo practice, and I knew that I needed to not take insurance because the parasite would have caused me to practice in uh, uh, in a way that is uh, that's not sustainable, uh, and um, in which the inherent tendency toward health in people cannot be served uh, because of the economic pressures. Uh, I, I was able to uh, find a moonlighting job uh, that uh, uh, that I did at night, uh, that allowed me to, to, uh, grow my practice during the day. And, uh, my, uh, education started when I started my practice really, because I didn't know anything coming out of medical school and my patients have taught me everything I know. My background as an engineer had, and my, uh, and my, uh, belief in my obligation to serve the inherent tendency toward health in my patients, uh, has led me to be quite rigorous in, uh, in making uh, diagnostic assessments and uh, coming up with uh, actually being the vehicle for the delivery of uh, uh, new ideas on how to treat problems that are not well addressed by standard medicine because they are of a functional nature. So that's what I do. Um, let's see um i'll hand it back to you <laughs>
0: i love it so the, i love this story mark i love the i love how you were guided to the next step even though you resisted it it's wonderful you are not the first on the planet i'm sure right there with you my dear
1: i <laughs> uh, i think the resistance is important uh is an important element of the preparation uh-huh. That's what I'm, Yeah. That's
0: do tell. Why? Could you clarify? Why is that?
1: Uh, because, um, uh, uh, because well, actually, this starts off in childhood. Uh, there's a, a remarkable woman named uh, Luann Brizendine who's written a book, The Male Brain and The Female Brain, two books. Uh, and uh, in The Male Brain, she describes, uh, she describes boys. For mothers, because mothers don't know about boys, why boys are the way they are, uh, until they find out. And the land prison, he sums it up very nicely. Uh, uh, and the the biologically uh, uh, the, the the biologically present task of of male youth, particularly, is the attainment of mastery and the establishment of the ego in the uh, in the uh, society of boys. So the position of the, the position of of uh, having mastery of of uh, physical skills is uh, is um, a biological imperative for young boys. And so uh, that's uh, or I should say people who are going to uh, people who are going to um, uh, let let me leave that alone. Uh, <laughs> uh, so anyway, that's boys. Um, uh, and I uh, wanted mastery. I wanted to achieve mastery, and what I finally found out was the acquisition of mastery is, there's an end game, and the end game of the acquisition of mastery is surrender to mastery. And uh, that mastery uh, is, uh, is really the art of being a receptive vehicle to um uh to uh, uh pass the love of the universe from uh self as one receives it to all those that, with whom one comes in contact
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah that, i don't know that's your question
0: that was beautiful <laughs> right that, that that was so concrete mark and i think this is it's perfect that you clarified that because there are people who are watching or listening in right now who are entrepreneurs and business owners like yourself who are on this journey experiencing the resistance, right? Um, And I've dedicated this podcast to those who instead of surrendering to source guiding through the resistance, they succumb to the resistance and drop out, right? This, This is really dedicated to support them to not Um, Give up the journey to mastery, the journey, the journey to sharing their gifts. So, if someone was listening in right now who has a has a business, has a has their gift to share with the world and service to others, who but who is struggling to not throw in the towel, right? Where they have the invitation from resistance to throw in the towel. What would you say to them in particular, like has that ever happened to you, mark? and if so, like what did you tell yourself like this uh, I'm curious could you
1: share? this is another this is another lesson from my patients uh um, at at some point uh and it wasn't too awfully long ago uh, uh I realized that I could not by Uh, pushing, shoving, leaning, pulling, drawing, anything uh, by not, there was nothing I could do physically to the patient in a treatment session that was going to let them breathe. Um, uh, The idea that I had for the longest time and the idea that we're taught is that if we want something to happen, if we want to make a business, we have to, do something, and uh, uh, the thing that I found out that has uh, that has uh, made life so much easier for me is it's really not a matter of figuring out how to do something. It's a really a matter of figuring out how to let what needs to happen happen, and to uh, and to not need to be the agent of change, but rather a servant of change. And so um, uh, what I found was if I take a yoga strap and I put it um, under the armpits and around the chest like this, and I cinch it up good and tight, all of a sudden, for some reason, people's chest walls start to move after years of not moving. Lots and lots of people have, have a great deal of difficulty. If they were, if, you, if you put your hands on your chest and you breathe out and you take a breath in, there's not going to be a lot of movement of the chest. And uh, breathing is very important to uh, feeling secure. And uh, uh, then what struck me was, well, the fetus inside the mother uh, is contained. And the fetus is, uh, the, uh, the fetus has all her needs met. Uh, the fetus has, uh, uh, has uh, no externally imposing uh, uh, disturbances. And the nervous system of the fetus, of the new person, comes online in an environment that is entirely contained in, in which they are in a state of surrender and they are in a state of utter security they're totally secure. They have no anxiety. They're just in there floating around, listening to the mother singing, the father putting his head against their belly, or however it is that it's happening. And they're in total security, and and but they're contained. And then they're born, and where are the walls? The walls are gone. And so it can, be, it can be extremely disturbing. So you take a baby and you swaddle it up, which is to say you contain, you contain the baby, and the baby fights that and does not want to have it happen. This is the resistance. Uh, and then all of a sudden, the baby falls asleep. Oh, and my camera falls over. Ah, and uh, there we go. Um, and um, uh, And the baby's security and... Uh, and peace and ease of breathing and all of that are suddenly restored. And this is what the yoga strap does. You put the yoga strap on and it puts some part of your brain that's not up here. It's down here. puts some part of your brain back in the womb and lets you let yourself breathe. And so the difference between doing and making and letting and allowing is really letting the internal wisdom that you have about who you are and where you're going or who I was and where I was going. Uh, that's what, that's what lets that manifest itself fully. So as long as I'm trying to, to uh, fight the river, if you will, as long as I'm, uh, as, as long as I'm trying to make something happen, uh, the likelihood is that it will take longer, be more difficult. and may not manifest. And uh, when I, Just uh, when a a patient no-shows me, that's a pile of money out of my pocket. But all I have to do is sit there and a few minutes later, I'm going to find out why that patient canceled and it's because somebody else needs more time. And so what I find is that what needs to happen will happen and I will be informed in due course why something that looks like it was an opposition or something that would frighten me uh i uh, if i let it go that that's that, that that it's that it's bad then the reason that it's right will present itself shortly uh and so uh to anybody who is is um feeling uh that they can't do it anymore that it's not going to happen um, uh i think the answer is to let whatever change is going to manifest be known and then to just walk the path that is set before one. And the answer to that is not something you have to go and find. It's something you have to let happen. So when a patient comes into my office and they've seen 11 doctors and uh, they're afraid that they're not going to get better or they're going to have to have surgery or something like that. um, My first task is to let them know that that uh, the choice of letting themselves be uh, and letting themselves have their feelings and go through their feelings and letting themselves uh, thrash and, and and fight and battle is is all very fine up until a point where uh, where. Um, you finally say, you know what, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to make this happen. And so I need, uh, uh, I need some guidance. And what will happen is the guidance will come, but it will come from within.
0: Gorgeous. Gorgeous. I, oh, my gosh, I'm covered in chills, Mark. The, the truth um, in that rings very deeply uh, as an energy healer myself. I've never believed that I'm the locus of power. No, the the one who is who has the issue is the one who has the power. And just being open and allowing um, healing to flow through and to us is how we're able to really observe it happen. And in ways that we could not have put together or engineered or figured out um, or efforted our way into on our own. And I love. Um, I I love the image of understanding that from embryology. Beautifully said, Mark. So I'm curious, here's the thing. You just totally opened up um, our hearts and minds to what's possible, not just um, as like a a entrepreneur, like us as entrepreneurs on our journey, understanding and honoring resistance and really putting it in the place that, like putting it within the framework that it really belongs in, right? As part of the evolution happening, right? Part of the clearing happening. But also you opened us up um, to what's possible in the body. And I know that someone might be listening or watching in right now um, and resonating with what you said of like, okay, maybe, this, maybe this is my guy. I need to reach out and um, either for myself or to celebrate you for making this so crystal clear um, and having the courage to share it also. So with that being said, you know me, I love celebrating. Where do we get to go to celebrate you, to connect with you, to support your mission um, and what you are doing? Here, where do we get to celebrate you? Where are we going?
1: Um uh let's see. So this is the contact us thing. Yes. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh let's see. My uh, my uh uh my email, the best email to get me on is uh uh is uh uh NJ NJ for New Jersey, uh NJ osteopathic, all one word, NJ O S T E O. P-A-T-H-I-C at gmail.com. That's the easiest way to get me. Uh, I also have a website uh, which uh, is in dire need of maintenance. Uh, and uh, all of a sudden somebody has appeared to take care of that. Uh, and uh, that's uh, www.mjosteopathic.com. And uh, what, I would, uh, what, I, uh, what I would like to uh, uh, leave you with as an idea uh, is uh, when you are concerned that it ain't going to work and you can't figure it out, um, <clears throat> you can uh, you can imagine yourself lying in the comfortable bottom of a boat on your back looking at the blue sky and the puffy clouds going by sitting on a lake. And uh, when you let yourself be in that position, you do not have to worry about going under the water because you are born up, you're born up by the water. It supports you and it's there present. And when the wind blows, you'll feel the the effect of the wavelets on the water. And as you lie there, you're gonna find out, well, nothing bad's gonna happen. Except if you don't go back, you're gonna starve eventually uh, or have exposure. But in the meanwhile, uh, if if you just imagine the notion of, The solution to the problem coming from the water that bears you up when you lie on your back in the bottom of the boat and look at the sky, just letting go of the uh, notions that we have developed to contain us so that we feel secure, when we let go of those notions and let something, and let that which does contain us, contain us and make us feel secure, be it a yoga strap or lying on the bottom of a boat on water, which is bearing us up, uh, the answers will be, you, you, we will be making the choice to let the answers that are within us come.
0: Beautiful. Beautiful. Thank you for that, Mark. I love that image. It's so calming uh, to be held.
1: And I'm a freaking engineer. I'm not a wooey guy. (laughs) (laughs) At the end, if you you want the engineer's description of how and why this hall operates, I I, um, I have uh, many words that I can offer in that direction. (laughs)
0: but we're going to have to have you back then so we can have the engineer's version. I love you because you're an engineer, Mark. Like you have the creative structural systematic mindset that um, is curious of how the thing works. Um, and I, I love that.
1: And the surrender to reality. That's the nice part about an engineer is <laughs> fantasy and alternative facts uh, have no place in the <laughs> I, love it. I love it. So thinking of what can be. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So good. So good. So with that, I'm giving you a big energy hug. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank Mark. you so much. <laughs> yeah, and I love it. I'm going to turn it over to our listeners now. Hi. This is your first Journeypreneur podcast. Thank you so much for coming. Um, And while you're here, make sure you hit subscribe on iTunes so that you get these episodes first as they come out. When you do, you'll see that you could leave us a five-star review. I want you to do that because this is episode 135. I want you to leave a comment in the comment box. You can only do that when you leave a five-star review and tell us what was the one thing that Dr. Mark told us that really stood out to you and touched you, gave you the aha moment that you may have needed today to keep you on your journey. So with that being said, I'm going to end this podcast episode the same way that we do every single time. Please remember to enjoy the journey. Do not lose your glow as you grow in life and business. And we'll see you in the next podcast episode. Bye for now. (laughs)